Hello everyone, welcome to Splinter's Library, episode 6.5. I think that's what I'm going to name it. Shiv, you're a Kingdom Hearts fan. You, you, you appreciate uh, some random decimal places at the end of the game numbers, right? 6.52. Remix. 6.52. Remix. Final uh, countdown. And Knuckles. And Knuckles. So, this is uh, sort of a... Um, a micro episode so that we can cheat and make sure we have one ready for Thanksgiving uh, <laughs> uh, to be as behind the curtain about it as possible. But it also sparked out of uh, when we were reading issue six. Well, when I was reading issue six, I can't speak for Shiv. I read the turtle tracks and found a lot of the information in it kind of interesting. Uh, and it sent me in a, a rabbit hole, uh, kind of poking through different parts of Wikipedia and stuff, obviously trying to avoid plot spoilers if I can. Um, but I learned a little bit more about Eastman and Laird, uh, individually. <laughs> I learned about, uh, some comic controversy, controversies going on at the time that, uh, are actually mentioned in the Turtle Tracks, as well as in the back matter of issue, uh, six, where they talk about, um, some of the, the other stuff going on there. Uh, and last but not least, I, I, I looked up uh, some some interesting commentary about some of the characters in Turtles and uh, how they've been changed over time. We'll get into it in a minute. So I, I wanted to take an episode to kind of talk about this stuff. And I, this was something I wanted to do, I think, uh, a little more in general, is look at sort of the development of this series and, and try to figure out why shit is the way we're seeing it on the page, right? Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. I, I don't know, Shiv. Do, do you feel like this is something you'd want to be doing on a weekly basis? Not not these 20-minute episodes, necessarily, but, like, should I be trying to do this kind of research and adding it as a segment to, to the weekly pod? I'd say if you, if you want to and it's genuinely interesting, then, yeah, you could do that. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to, though. Well, we'll see how you feel after, after we go through some of the information. <laughs> so, um... Do I put a jingle in this? I guess I do. I guess I, I put a jingle in this. So let's, let's hit a jingle. <laughs> so let's talk first about sort of the contents of issue six's turtle tracks. Because uh, there's a lot going on here. Um, broad overview. They talk about how issue seven is going to be a collab, uh, which is uh, interesting. So they've, they've had these short micro comics in the back sometimes, right? Typically as an inclusion of the, the second or third or fourth printing, right? Apparently issue seven is going to feature one that is in continuity. I have not looked any details up about it except what they mentioned in this Turtle Tracks page. Uh, and, and this factoid alone is kind of what sent me on the research spiral. So it talked about how it's a collab between Kevin Eastman, right? Who collab. Write, is it collab who, or collab? I, I think you can say it either way, right? Oh, I, I just hear collab. It's a collaboration, collab. Oh, okay, let me go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it's a collab between Eastman of the Eastman and Laird pair, right? Uh, and Eastman is going to be the one who will write and pencil the, the little, like, four-page microcomic at the end of issue seven. Uh, and it's going to be inked by a Mr. Richard Corbin, 
I had no idea who Richard Corbin was. Have you heard that name before, Shiv? You're more into comics than me. Uh, oh no, I don't. I don't think I'm that much more into comics than you are. But I think we're both pretty same. But no, I've never heard of this Richard Corbin. Okay, so I I went on a wiki dive. Um, so Corbin is the lead comic artist uh, from Heavy Metal Magazine. Uh, which is like a fantasy and sci-fi magazine, right? Which is probably most famous for its animated feature film by the same name, Heavy Metal. Um, have you seen that film, maybe? No. Okay. So, in general, I, I think sort of the point of Heavy Metal magazine was to be sort of an alternate, uh, alternative, you know, adult comics, right? Um, very Conan Barbarian kind of. Uh, uh, fantasy comics uh, and the sci-fi stuff was more kind of gritty. Uh, that that was their kind of like little niche, right? Uh, grim, darky kind of uh, 80s comic books. So I, I then had to look into like, well, so what's Eastman and Laird's connection with Corbin? Like, why this guy? Because he, evidently neither of us knew him, right? Uh, he, he's not particularly hyper-famous. So it went on, you know, this this deep dive. Uh, Eastman apparently loves Corbin's work, right? And named him as the second most influential person to his style. The first most person is something we're going to talk about a little later on today. But it, it's it's an interesting connection because Eastman just said like, oh, I, I love heavy metal. I've, all, I've like read heavy metal as long as like it's been published. And after... Eastman leaves the pairing with Laird, he actually becomes the the owner of Heavy Metal Magazine. He purchases Heavy Metal Magazine in 1992. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so we kind of get in this uh, interesting dynamic where Eastman, I guess unawares to some extent how big this Turtles thing is going to be, right before it like gets completely merchandised out <laughs> right uh he is he's just like getting this opportunity to talk with and and make a short four page full color story in issue 7 with with uh Richard Corbin who's later going to be the boss of i also found this really interesting quote uh by Eastman about why heavy metal magazine was like interesting uh to him uh, this this quote comes from comic book rebels uh a conversation with the creators of the new comics <laughs> that's the name of the book this quote was found on wikipedia i guess and it reads from eastman uh it wasn't as harsh or extreme as some of the underground comics with an x but definitely intended for older readership <laughs> So, uh, it's, there's some interesting connective tissue between heavy metal and Turtles in that way, right? We've been commenting that Turtles seems to be kind of for teenagers, right? right. Uh, and we, we can kind of see that, that like, connection that Heavy Metal Magazine might have been in that same niche. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? And that's, that's again, where we're going to touch on, I'll, I'll probably give a reminder about that once we hit it in issue seven. Um, it's just something they talked about and were hyping up in the turtle tracks of issue six. Mm. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Say that that's funny. 
It's weird. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> now, issue issue eight uh, apparently is going to be another crossover comic, uh, which we'll we'll talk about that later. I think when that's relevant, and they hype that up in the turtle tracks. But that in particular, I wanted to bring up because it tells us kind of a lot about Eastman. I think, uh, and and that's something I found doing all this research is I was trying to figure out like, well, so what part of this is Eastman and what part of this is Laird, right? I think Eastman is the one who wants to make money making comics and loves reading comics and is just here to make comics, right? Mm. Uh, I actually get the impression that that Laird is the the one who's um, I'm not sure what the right phrase is. I think he's the one who put the Ninja Turtles in Ninja Turtles. The visionary. Right? I think, yeah, I, I think Eastman is the the one doing a lot of the penning, you know, and a lot of the penciling, right? Whereas whereas Laird is kind of, I, I think he, he might actually be kind of the weeb of the two, if that <laughs> makes sense. I think he's, like, the one who, like, likes the ninja stuff and likes the turtles and is, like invested in some of these ideas they're presenting in the comics, right? Um, so invested, I think, that they're getting ahead of themselves, right? And and that's why we've been like, why are they in space? <laughs> so that's, that's, that's sort of what I found. And that's actually further instated by uh, kind of point number two I wanted to, to jaunt along here. So I think Eastman and Laird, like, break up for God knows what reason. I didn't look too deep into that quite yet. And actually, it was only recently they reunited to write one comic literally like last year in 2020. So we'll, mm. we'll definitely tackle that when we're done with the main run, right? Yeah. Because uh, we, we have to do that. <laughs> uh, and apparently it was the Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us, that made them reconnect because they like forced them to be in a room together for an interview. <laughs> Which is wild. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, what I found out was that uh, Eastman and Laird had basically zero control over the late 80s cartoon. The, oh. the Cowabunga Pizza Time show. Completely hands-off. Oh. Borderline. But the 2003 show mm. was completely supervised by Laird, not Eastman, because he was just swimming in his money and he was doing the heavy metal magazine stuff instead. Hmm. Yeah, that makes so sense. So that might be why, so far, right, we found that that 2003 show is surprisingly closer to the comics, right? Right. Uh, and, and that might be that, might be that, that reason. It's because it's purely on on uh laird yeah i, I like the 2003 show as well so that, that's amazing yeah. it's good stuff it's in, it's interesting right so that's that was that was sort of the broad sweeping point one some of the stuff from the turtle tracks i pulled out that i i thought was fascinating um now i want to talk about some of the stuff that's in it's mentioned briefly in the turtle tracks but it's actually also in the back matter of issue seven <laughs> so Eastman has a favorite comic artist slash writer of all time uh, that, that he very clearly makes defined uh, in, in this issue, in the front and back matter. Uh, he loves Jack Kirby. Mm. Uh, and 
Well, so do you know about what was happening to <laughs> to him around this time? I I do know. Was it him and Steve Ditko? I think those two had a falling out or something, or something like that with the Spider-Man no, comics. No, not quite. I oh. I think that happened a little earlier. Oh, okay. Um, I could see I could see where you get that idea though. So in in the turtle tracks, they tell us that Donnie. Donnie issue one, Donatello's one-shot comic, coming in like two to three months from, you know, when, when the Turtle Tracks was written, is inspired and dedicated to Jack Kirby. So I then looked up, I'm like, wait, when did Jack Kirby die? <laughs> no, not quite. Uh, he didn't die for like a good like ten yeah. years later. But in the back matter of the issue, they clarify it. So... Apparently, around this time, there was a legal battle going on between Jack Kirby and Marvel, uh, because he had left. He had left Marvel Comics a little while before, right? Um, or maybe he was still collaborating with them to some extent, but he he wanted his artwork back, <laughs> mm. and they wouldn't give it to him. Uh, apparently, as a part of a, a contract he had signed... They uh, refused him the rights to his artwork under new copyright laws. Uh, And in order for him to get back his artwork, he had to sign away the creative rights to the characters, like, depicted within that art. Which is wild. (laughs) So... So basically, right, Marvel was able to like cling onto these pieces of art and use those as their copyright because they're like, well, we own the original image of this character, so we own the character. But if they surrendered that to Jack Kirby, they wouldn't own it anymore. <laughs> oh, so messy. Uh, so they, they, yeah, it was incredibly messy. So. In the back of issue six of this comic book, there is a <laughs> there's a note uh, by Eastman and Laird. I, I'm under the impression Eastman did a lot of the the penning on it though, because he seems to adore uh, Jack Kirby. Not to say Laird probably doesn't appreciate him either. I, I I'm under the impression they both like comics a lot, right? Yeah. Um, or else they wouldn't have gone into this. But uh, there's <laughs> there's a petition in the back encouraging you to sign your name uh cut out the page of the comic and like send it to like marvel (laughs) uh requesting that marvel gives jack his his art back (laughs) it's kind of amazing so they they write the following. I, I pulled out this quote from that back matter of the issue. They say, We recognize that some folks, especially our younger readers, may not share the admiration and respect we feel for Jack Kirby and his work. That's okay. After all, everyone is entitled to his or her own opinion. But we ask all those people to remember one thing. If it hadn't been for the driving creative genius Jack Kirby, it's highly unlikely you would be currently enjoying the adventures of characters such as the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America, the X-Men, the <laughs> Avengers, Black Panther, Silver Surfer, Machine Man, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Sergeant Fury, the Inhumans, the Eternals, the list goes on. So it's, it's like this very passionate like letter at the end about how much they love Jack Kirby and how, and how much he's getting fucked uh, by Marvel. <laughs> 
Yeah. I uh, I pulled out a, a few more quotes from the internet on the matter. Uh, but do do you do you have some thoughts you want to share first? I mean, I guess it just goes to show. Like I used to, I used to think back then in that time because you know, the internet wasn't really there, right? It, I didn't think people were like right. connected like that. Like, you know, nowadays that people have all kinds of petitions going on and like, oh, support this person, do this, screw the screw the yeah. Disney, but. Of Marvel, I guess. No, absolutely. Well, and that, this is this is pre-Disney Marvel. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, I think people forget that Marvel already was kind of like a really, really mean publishing house. But yeah, I pulled I pulled a lot of information about this from this fantastic article from uh, I think it's straight up the Comic Book Journal, uh, TCJ. Uh, the article is called "Kirby and Goliath: The Fight for Jack Kirby's Marvel Artwork." Published uh, in their, I think, magazine, December 29th, 2002, and they uploaded this article up online as, as like an archive, which which was really helpful when I was doing all this research. Mm. Um, and they actually have, they have a, in their own article, uh, they cite a different article from the comic books journal, uh, issue 105, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, so they have they have a quote here in an interview with Kirby uh, in TCJ number 105. The artist said, "All I know is that I own my own drawings, but they've got them, and they know I own them. They know, and they're holding them arbitrarily. In other words, they're grabbers. They'll grab a copyright. They'll grab a drawing. They'll grab a script. They're grabbers. That's their policy." They can be uh, as dignified as they like. They can talk lofty language, although they don't usually. Not to me, laughter. They act like businessmen, but to me, they're acting like thugs. <laughs> Dear. So, yeah. Savage. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's, Jack Kirby was clearly, uh, he, was, he was with it. But I, I think this is cool to check in on, in, you know, historically as i guess it it shows us like what the turtles represented as as an independent comic right like mirage studios right it is a it is a publisher right yeah. but more or less turtles seems to be flaunting this independence and i think we would be reading a very different and and somehow drier comic if this was Marvel Comics' Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or DC Comics' Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? In general, I think, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, Mirage Comics, that they're later bought by DC Comics, I think. Are they really? Oh my goodness. If I'm not... So just everything everything that was theirs is, is theirs in that sense, then? I'm just going like, to double check. All those Mirage characters are now owned by DC. Never mind. I, I got confused with something else. Mirage, no. Uh, okay. Well, because we, we know already that Turtles becomes a IDW comics. Yeah. Property, they, move, right? they move. Either way, TMT moves to a different uh, comic. To IDW. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and IDW kind of still stands for that independence, right? I mean, it's it's a publisher. It's like Dark Horse, right? Yeah. But it's it's smaller, and it's not as bogged up by this kind of, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Bureaucracy, right? Uh, to give the story a bit of closure, right, this, this issue we're reading is actually from 1986, right? 
1987 that this issue of Jack Kirby gets resolved. Uh, another quote from the Comics Journal. Details of the amendments uh, were not made public, but Kirby's lawyer, Greg Victoff, told the journal, Jack got just about everything he wanted. Uh, the form was signed and the art was returned. The eventual tally of Kirby's art Marvel had collected uh, for return came to approximately 1,900 pages of art. Mm. So yeah, Jack good. Kirby wins in the end. Maybe, maybe it's thanks to the support of Eastman and Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm sure they probably barely made a breeze in the conversation. But I, I think it, it's it's an interesting controversy that was happening in comics at the time that just happens to be di- like directly made uh, apparent in our issue of Ninja Turtles, which I, I thought was really interesting. I wonder what other like Marvel writers or Marvel people working at Marvel were thinking, like who's who was right in this situation. Yeah, well, I, I imagine if you're if you're in Marvel, you probably think Jack Kirby's being an asshole, right? <laughs> Um, I mean, hindsight's everything, too. I, I imagine basically every single person at the Marvel office was kind of a dickhead, including Stan, right? Mm. Uh, may he rest in peace, right? But you you don't get to be that big in any industry by being nice, yeah, I don't think. that's true. Right? Um, so I, I totally get that. And that's, that's you know, going kind of back to Ninja Turtles, that seems to be the story I'm I'm kind of getting the vibe of is that that Eastman is kind of an asshole. <laughs> uh, and Laird's just the nice, sweet guy who wants to make a story about turtle ninjas. But I, I, haven't, I haven't seen enough matter to confirm that yet. right? But right now, that's, that's sort of the story I'm forming in my head. It's always the, the pair, Steve Jobs and the Steve Wozniak. Yeah, well, and it's, it's like I, I looked at Wikipedia, and like Laird's picture is just like, this is a picture of Laird from when he went to Comic-Con in 2009, and he's, like, smiling. And then it's, like, a picture of Eastman, and he's wearing sunglasses. <laughs> he's got, like, slick back, spiky hair. <laughs> it's like, hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, so so that was that was matter number two. Uh, so I, ho- I hope you appreciated that one. I, I found that to be a really fun little, little research jaunt. Um... And now this one, I'll, I'll admit, actually, because I, 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 we obviously have read the issue, both of us, and we'll talk about it in the next episode. But I, uh, when I saw April in this issue, I started to do some Googling. Um, I, so this, this is matter number three, and it's, it's a, a very interesting point, I, I think. So the way April O'Neil is drawn in, in issue six, right? She has kind of the frizzy black hair, like, going behind her shoulders, very rounded, and she has big hoop earrings. And the thought creeped into my mind, I, I started to wonder if they were trying to codify April as black. Um, I had the same you know, thought. Yeah. I actually had the yeah. same thought, because the hair and the... I don't, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate you, you thought it as well. Like, black so or Hispanic, I, I was, maybe, even. But. Yeah, yeah. So I looked it up because I, I said, like, well, because it's black and white art and maybe, like, things got changed over time. Who, who's to say? And it's apparently a very complicated issue. <laughs> read a few articles. Uh, there, there was a Screen Rant article in particular I read, um, which was erroneously titled, Was April O'Neil Whitewashed? 
Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, they, there's a few different takes on this story. Um, and, and apparently it is, it is very erroneous. So this is, this is the quote from the same Screen Rant article, which I do think is very valid. In 2002's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Arto biography, Kevin Eastman explained that April was originally created as an Asian character in Pete's notes. Oh. Right? So Peter Laird. But named after an African-American woman I once knew. Conversely, Laird, when he was asked individually, addressed the subject saying, it depends on which co-creator of TMNT you ask. If you ask me, I always saw April as white. (laughs) If you ask Kevin, I suspect he would say, as he has in a number of interviews, that she was of mixed race, such as his former girlfriend, then wife, then ex-wife. April. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that uh, a mess? What the so, so what race is April O'Neil? <laughs> uh, and and then of course the late '80s cartoon. She's very clearly white with red hair, uh, and was cast as as a Irish American actress in the live action film from the '90s. So. <laughs> <laughs> what what's what's april's race ship uh, it's difficult <laughs> what, what do you like, think i'm i'm used to the <laughs> the white interpretation of like the representation sure. of a character that's i'm absolutely there with you that's that's the one we've seen the most of right like that's that's the one they put in fucking nickelodeon all-stars brawl <laughs> that's, that's a funny pick i don't even no pun intended i don't even know like i guess they just added her for more more uh, diversity or something. I, I didn't really think of her as sure. a fighter. Maybe in the the CGI TMNT movie where she was like, like using like staff and all that. I think Splinter was training right. her or something like that. When she has the yeah martial arts kind of thing going on. But I, either way, I always thought of her as white. Or maybe maybe mixed, maybe, yeah. but white. That that's yeah. just what. Well, and, comes and, to my and head. it was, but but with that in mind though, we're reading this comic and both of us naturally thought that she was a woman of color. Uh, just based on, like, her... I, I guess maybe we were making assumptions based on the way she's dressed, which is terrible, but... <laughs> I was I was doing off the like, hair. It's, it's fiction, right? So, like, of course they're gonna, like, use that kind of stuff to, like, codify characters. So, it's, yeah. Does it make it's, us wrong for... Does it make it wrong for us to, like... No, no I, don't, I don't I don't think, think so, yeah. Are wrong. And the fact that we both naturally came to that conclusion gives us uh, some kind of... Yeah. But... I thought it was an interesting point I wanted to talk about uh, that it's apparently kind of a your your April O'Neil is a create a character just pick whatever you want and it'll work. <laughs> I'm gonna just say um, she's like white. I mean that's just it, it was the hair that kind of threw me off a bit. Maybe the clothing, but mostly the hair. I don't. Yeah. But well, and apparently in this in this same Screen Rant article they talk about how uh, in issue nine's second printing has a has April on the cover and she seems like she she clearly is part white but her her skin has a fair quality about it that leaves even it still leaves something up to interpretation um hmm. but yeah 
as as sort of uh, a round off to it as well in the 2009 uh, no not 2009 uh, 20 2018 2019 the Nickelodeon Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show where all the characters are incredibly overdesigned uh April O'Neil is African American in that show so oh wait what show you you can the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, that's not the CG. Oh, oh you're right. Okay. No, oh, that's a 2018 no, one. Yeah. Okay. It's 2018. Thank you. Yeah, and, so, yes. and that's perfectly fine. Uh, I, I have nothing wrong with it. That's good. Yeah. No, I well, and and it's uh, I'm sure when that was new, right? There were people like, why is April black? <laughs> but like, it's clearly like in the DNA of the series that she can just kind of be whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't matter, right? But matters. Yeah, well, it doesn't April. matter, but but also also depending on which creator you ask, <laughs> the answer changes. So <laughs> they don't even. Know. I, I I I do think it's very funny. This this the, that Eastman is just like Peter's a weeb, so she must be Asian. <laughs> <laughs> it was like his default answer. So yeah. That is sort of the the three kind of key points I pulled from the front and back matter of the issue that I that I thought was really engaging. Um, I hope it's in a way colored our experience reading the comic uh, with with developer tidbits, right? You know, maybe maybe it will help us appreciate or depreciate <laughs> some some elements of the run, uh, but I, I hope it kind of gives it a new flavor all the same. Yeah, definitely. I that that's pretty interesting insight i never i never thought about april's skin color i guess i did but i never really thought like it was that complicated <laughs> so thanks. no no you didn't think it was that complicated of an issue well I, I just mean the other two points as well Oh, those like, yeah what was going on in comics at the time with the legal stuff you know with, with kirby uh as well as you know sort of eastman's the the beginning bubblings of his his grand scheme to purchase heavy metal magazine uh <laughs> i mean i don't want to paint either of our of our illustrious authors as villains uh i, I think they're, they they probably are both at fault for them breaking up at some point and we're we're definitely going to talk about that when we hit the end of the run right uh i i'll i'll have to like do some deep research on that but uh, I can do as as it stands, yeah. Yeah, I can. I think I do find that with the kind of with the story with the Marvel stuff that was going on, that was kind of it. Kind of reminded me of like the, like the Red Hood thing. Like, oh, do you think Red Hood should die? Call this number. Like, it, it, asking was, for the input. That is, that is the most extreme experiment in comic book <laughs> history. <laughs> yeah, that. isn't it? Didn't they already kind of decide before the tally was finished? I, I, I feel like there was some part of that story where, like, they had already written the issue and the, like, results changed last minute or something like that. They they drew both outcomes, like, if he survived or if he died, like, Batman. Like, they drew, okay. like, a panel for that. But, yeah, I think they were, in my opinion, I think they were leaning more towards Jason Todd being dead. That was, like, what I think they wanted was, to do. Was the whole uh, issue, like, completely unrelated to that plotline except for, like, the very end page that they had to, like, draw and swap? <laughs> See, there was another, like, ongoing plot with Superman. He was, like, involved in, like, some political thing in the Middle East. But 
Yeah, they... <laughs> that's the most. That's the most edgy '90s DC comic thing ever. <laughs> Superman is dealing with a political issue in the Middle East. And Superman, like, he has to stop Batman because Batman wants to kill Joker after he kills Jason Todd. But Superman's like, you can't get involved with the Joker. He's an important delegate of the the Iraqi yeah. prince or so, Iranian prince or something like that. Wait, wait what? <laughs> Is that actually the plot line? It's some, Holy yeah, shit. some, like, convoluted United Nations <laughs> Middle East thing. And... Oh, you see, now I just want to be reading Batman. <laughs> Doesn't have to just be TMNT. We could read whatever. But, yeah, no, I... <laughs> I mean, this the pot is called Splinter's Library. We could call it the... So... <laughs> oh, that's true, yeah. No, they did Splinter. do multiple Turtles-Batman crossover comics, right? I know there's the animated special they did. But there, there are multiple comics as well that in that sort of theming, right, in that run. I've never... If there are, I haven't read any. But I know... Well, there, there ha- I'm sure, probably I'm has sure to they be. exist, though, yeah. right? It has to be. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll hit that up at some point, because I definitely would like that. And I'm sure it's going to be the most sort of broad-sweeping... Oh, you know, no, there definitely is, because that's where the, uh, Michelangelo, this is where my parents died, uh, meme comes from, right? Oh, I thought that was from the movie. Okay, okay, that's from a comic panel. I thought it was from a comic, yeah, yeah. Okay, I I haven't seen either. It's not Michael, it's, it's Raphael, isn't it? He's like, Raphael... This is where my parents died. <laughs> which which turtle does he say that to? Hold on. <laughs> now I have to look it up. Pausing the whole pod to look up this stupid meme. Yeah, it's Raphael. <laughs> this is where my parents died, oh, Raphael. Oh. <laughs> oh, I know this comic. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, we, we should we should read, read this. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know him saying Cowl Bummer was a was a Photoshop. That oh, that's such a that's so that was like the best part. Uh, Cowl Bummer. <laughs> oh, that's so yeah. good. I like it. I like. We oh, do. We should read this sometime. <laughs> we do. We really should read that at some point. We would like it probably a little too much. Uh, yeah, that's definitely on. That's definitely on the docket, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Raphael just standing there. <laughs> He's just standing there looking like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Well, this uh, this recording ended up being a good, like, 20 minutes longer than we intended it to. So we hope the viewers enjoyed the bonus episode, uh, even though it comes out actually just in a regular weekly spot. So it's not really a bonus. It's just a stalling episode, and we're very transparent about that. Uh <laughs> Do you have any parting thoughts, Shiv? You know, do, do, it's, are there any are there any turtles mysteries for for lack of a better term you you would want me to kind of look into for maybe future segments like this? Um, if we did it, say like in in the front of the episode before we hit the summary. I mean, you don't. And then not at the moment, I can't really think of anything. Uh, maybe like later on, or like in more later comics, maybe like the Eastman Laird thing sure. that they break up that, that we talked about. Well, of course, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll probably get to that when we. I I, I imagine. Well, I'm sure. I here's here's what I'm sure is going to happen. We're going to hit a plot point that we're going to be like, holy shit, this does not seem right, and we're going to look it up and we're going to find out that it was particularly Eastman or particularly Laird that really desperately wanted it, and the other one didn't, and it's going to just spiral from there. <laughs> it's going to be the first of many problems. <laughs> I can totally see it already. Yeah, 
I I just don't know what will happen in this like in this series or in the next one or but it happens like oh it's definitely something has to happen in these like fifty issues right yeah because it's at the end of these fifty issues that they sell off that cartoon and it destroys them <laughs> can't wait for that that'll be that'll be interesting to look up because I after I'll that it's just more about yeah because then then we can figure out why the 2003 show didn't involve uh, Eastman, right? Just layered. Why why that didn't involve Eastman, why Eastman then decided to run away and buy heavy metal. <laughs> well, and he, he bought that years before, right? Like right. it's it's 93 he buys he buys that. So God, can you believe that too? He was already that rich at this point. Like <laughs> TMT you know, like him big. buying heavy metal I, I know, but it looks so small right now, right, in these comics. But it yeah. is so close to exploding to an insane degree. I mean, this this is the boiling point, right? This is the fourth printing now of that first issue they're doing, right? Like, in our, in our chronology, where we're at on issue six, or seven, rather, right? Right. They're... Just now doing that fourth printing that is probably incredibly overproduced, right? Because they just want a copy of the first issue in every single person's hands who wants a copy of it now. Now that they've run out of the first, the second, and the third printing, right? Right. So it's it, – and that's why now all of their plays are purely like products and marketing, they did the tabletop role-playing game already, right? They, in the back page of every issue, they're advertising those little figurines you can buy, right? They're advertising the, the uh, iron-on patches you can buy. All that kind of stuff. So I am looking forward to seeing the Turtle Tracks page that says, New! We're making a TV series! <laughs> And I'm going to be very careful to read the verbiage on that one, for sure. <laughs> TV show that they and don't I, have curious. creative control over. Yeah, I'm, curi- I'm curious if they're going to say, like, this is helmed completely by Cartoon Network. Me and Kevin aren't really working on it, but we're excited to see what they do. <laughs> and that, that, you know, I can see a lot of, of issues uh, already with that, you know, uh, late 80s, early 90s show. Uh, did we touch on speaking? Of, we talked about April. Uh, did we talk about how Baxter was whitewashed in the cartoon? Did we talk about that yet? <laughs> we. I'm pretty sure we mentioned it when we were reading the comics okay. like a while ago. Okay. But... I, I don't remember what happened. <laughs> this is so long ago. I've edited so many episodes since. Now, then. see, that's a character. Uh, I think. I just think he's African. Like, it just makes sense to me. No, he's definitely he's he's, he's 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 totally black. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, he clearly is. Um, and he was in literally everything but the late 80s, early 90s cartoon. Oh, dear. Uh, all right, this is this is getting too long. Oh. Should say something funny, quickly. Cowabumber. It's too late. Cowabumber. <laughs> there we go. That'll do. Uh, thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Uh, send your thoughts, feelings. Thoughts and, and prayers. To splinterslibrary at gmail.com. Thoughts and prayers <laughs> for the reporter who died in that building collapse. And oh, I still remember that report. Hopefully we see him, right? Hopefully you see him again. 
No, we don't. We 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 know we don't because we've read the issue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cowl bomber. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Cowl bomber. <laughs>